but you need to pay close attention. If you didn't bring a if you didn't bring a notebook with you today, I would suggest you bring a notebook with you. Uh, I think they are recording it. And I think Brother John said they're going to record these messages. And so I believe it's going to be a big help to you. And if the Lord doesn't change my direction, and I'm trying to condense, I was thinking this morning, and trying to get a year's worth of teaching, how am I going to do that? And Brother John asked me, he said, do you have enough material to go, you know, for three or four nights? I said, "Uh, yeah. I told my wife this morning, I said, I can go three or four days doing it twice a day, and I wouldn't get it done. Uh, but if the Lord doesn't change my mind, uh, this is the outline that we're going to use. We're going to use. I'm going to talk to you this morning about the foundation of the church and how the church started, where the church started. And I'm going to give you Bible on that. There's some different doctrines, different ideas about that. I'm going to share those with you and then give you what I believe the Bible teaches us on the foundation of the church. Then we're going to teach about, uh, preach about the purpose of the church in the Sunday morning hour. And then tonight, we're going to preach about the people of the church. And then we're going to preach about the purpose of the church. And uh, then we're going to talk about the power of the church. And so, uh, I I don't think that I'm going to say anything that you probably don't know. I'm probably going to say it in a little more detail uh, than what you know. What I want to do, Brother David, is when I am finished, I want you to walk away from this meeting saying, I know 100% that God started a church, and I'm not a I'm not a Baptist brider. I don't want you to think that I, I I'm not I don't teach Baptist bride doctrine, but I believe that there is um, there is a church that God I believe God started a church. I believe that church is still going. I don't believe it's ever aired. I don't believe that we were ever a part of the Catholic institution. I don't believe we were ever Protestants. We were not Protestants. We're not Protestants now. We didn't always carry the name of Baptist, but we always carried the doctrine of it. And there have been people down through the ages that have withstood the test of time and uh, being exactly what we are today, no different than what they were years and years ago and believe the same doctrine that we've always believed and preach the same way that we've always preached. And so I, I trust it'll be, this will be a very informative, uh, informative series of messages as well as very practical and something that you can use on a daily basis because you're gonna, this is what you're going to face when you're out in the world and then I'll get with it. Uh, out in the world you're going to face folk that say, you're going to face people that say, you're going to face Catholics who say, well, Roman Catholicism is the oldest church in the world. But that's not true. But we're, and we're going to prove that. You're going to face folk that tell you that they're the one true church and that nobody else is really the true church. And there's some Baptist folk that will tell you that, that the only people going to heaven are Baptist people. And Baptist folk are right. Somebody said, if you wasn't a Baptist, what would you be? I said, I'd be ashamed of myself, amen. Uh, but I'm not, but Baptist folk are not the only folk going to heaven. And you need to understand that. The hardest thing, because if you're right in your doctrine, and me and Brother John were talking about this this morning a little bit, but you can be right in your doctrine and wrong in your attitude, and you can't be right with God. You can be right in your attitude, wrong in your doctrine, and not be right with God. Though in order for you to be walking in the Spirit, full of the Holy Spirit, I didn't say you wasn't saved, but in order to do that, you've got to have your attitude and your doctrine have to be right. And so doctrinal preaching sometimes is boring to folk, and that's all right. It, it does get a little monotonous at times. I understand that. I'll try not to keep it that way. Uh, I'll try to make it as interesting as interesting as I can. But the foundation of the church is where we're going to start at. We're going to use Matthew chapter number 16. 
Begin reading in verse uh, uh, Matthew chapter number 16 and verse number 13. Very familiar text, but I, I, like I said, I'm not giving you anything that you probably don't know. So it should be familiar. I hope this is familiar to you. And, uh, and we're going to delve right in into some controversial things right off the bat about the doctrine of the church. And this is where that doctrine, where there is some controversy, is in this text. And that's the reason I feel like the Lord directed me to this text. There's many texts through the Bible I could have used, but this will be our text basically for the whole week. The Bible said, When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. That's very key. Verse number 17 is the key to understanding this entire text and what we're preaching about this week. He and Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood, and that's what most people are trying to understand it with, the natural carnal mind. Flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. What he's telling Peter is, he said, Peter, you can understand a lot of things about what you just said, but the only person that can reveal that to you is the Spirit of God. That's who has to reveal truth to you. And everything that I say this week, you can agree with, you can affirm, but if the Spirit of God does not make it real in your heart, it won't, be, it won't ever be real until God does that. And so I understand that. That may happen this week. It may not. It may not happen for several weeks. You may have to take it home and meditate on it. Roll it over in your mind. Think about it. That's normal. That's a good thing. And you may search the Scriptures daily to see if these things be so. And so, but in verse number 18, the Bible said, And I say unto thee, and this is our text, unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I'll give unto thee keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then charged he his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. Our Heavenly Father, as we come before your throne today, Father, as we approach this text, I pray you'd re, uh, help me to remember the things that I've studied, the things that I have taught, Father, I pray you'd help me to remember, uh, God, through my studies, the truths that you want revealed to this church. I know you don't want every truth that you've revealed to me through my study revealed to this church. We don't have time for that. But I believe there are certain directions you want us to go this week for this people. And God, we ask that you would help us to do that. Help, Father, the Spirit of God to have a, a place that it would find to lodge the Word of God in their heart. And we'll be careful to thank you. I pray, pray most of all that you'd get honor and glory out of everything that's done. You'd be magnified and uplifted. And we'll thank you and praise you for what you do in Jesus' wonderful name. We humbly ask it all. Amen and amen. amen. We're going to talk to you this morning about the foundation of the church. The word church is mentioned 115. Let me rephrase that. The word ecclesia is mentioned 115 times in your New Testament, 118 times. 115 times that word ecclesia, which is the Greek word for church, 115 of those times it is the word transliterated church as we know it. Uh, two of those times in your New Testament the word church is referring to 
the church used as a euphemism. What in other words he's talking about in the book of 1 Peter, he talks about the church in the wilderness. And so you could have a church in the Old Testament, you need to understand that, which is the word ecclesia, a called out assembly. We're not just interested, Brother David, though, in a called out assembly. Because you can have a church, that word ecclesia, anywhere. But what we're looking for in this Bible is a New Testament church. Because that's what we are. And so you could, and you need to understand. So when somebody says, well, was there ever a church in the Old Testament? Well, the Bible said that there was a church in the wilderness. A called out assembly in the wilderness. But that was not a New Testament church. And so there are some things that you must keep uh, in order in your mind if you're going to understand the beginning and the foundation of the church. The word church is only mentioned, it's mentioned 115 times. Uh, three, 118 times the word ecclesia is used, 115 times it's used and transliterated the word church. Three times it is simply the word assembly. And that you will find in the Old Testament uh, at times, not the word ecclesia of course, uh, but the Hebrew word for ecclesia, you'll find it in the Old Testament sometimes as the word assembly. But the word church is only mentioned in your New Testament. That word, C-H-U-R-C-H, is only mentioned, is only transliterated to the English language from the Greek language. It's only transliterated from uh, that from the Greek language to the English language in the New Testament. It's not ever mentioned in the Old Testament. Yet the idea of the church is found in the Old Testament and we're going to deal with that a little bit this morning. Now the word ecclesia simply means a called out assembly. We need to understand that number one, Christ is the cornerstone. He's the And this again goes back to the Old Testament. He's the chief cornerstone that the builders rejected but the apostles and the prophets are the foundation of the church. And that's very important that you understand that. Now there's many people in the day and hour in which we live, and I'll deal with this here because it simply fits in with the, with the lesson this morning. There are many people today who still believe that we have apostles and that we have prophets in the day and hour in which we live. But they are unqualified according to New Testament Scripture, they are unqualified to be a, an apostle or a prophet in the day and hour in which we live. Now, understand in the New Testament there were apostles and there were prophets. But that was before, I believe this personally, uh, before we had a complete canonization of Scripture when we needed insight from God. And so there were prophets, God would speak to them. But the Bible said this, in days, in the times past, in the book of Hebrews, in times past, he spake unto us, that's what the apostle Paul said in the book of Hebrews, he spake unto us by prophets. So he's talking about a New Testament era. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by one thing, his son, Jesus Christ. So I don't, and I, and I don't think, I may have preached that message here, I don't know if I did or not, but if I didn't, I preached a message entitled on living by what we know about the truth. And living by what we know about the truth is, is that I don't need, I don't need a prophet. I don't need an apostle. I've got a prophet. That, his name's Jesus. I've got the apostle and high priest of my salvation. That is Jesus Christ. I don't need anything else. You, if you want a prophet, people say, well, I wish I had a prophet. You've got one. His name's Jesus. 
And, and the New Testament qualification for a prophet is no different than the Old Testament qualification of a prophet. And that is this. If they prophesy, Brother David, they must be 100% correct all of the time. They can't have any error. If they make one error in their prophecies, they are not to be considered a prophet of God. That was the Old Testament standard and that was the New Testament standard before we had the canonization of Scripture. And so in the day and hour in which we live, we got people saying, well, they're a prophet, but they're their prophecies, half the time, they don't even come true. And they're so general. I mean, they'll say, well, it came true, but it's so general, you know. I mean, if you found a penny laying on its on heads and picked it up, their prophecy came true. That's how stupid some of it is. So we don't have that in our day because we don't need it. We've got Jesus. Why would you want the shadow and the type when you've got the real thing, amen? I don't want, if I sit down and eat ice cream, I don't want fake ice cream. I, I, I don't care how good it is. It ain't as good as the real thing. Amen. And so if when I sit down and I eat ice cream, I don't want the fake stuff. I want the real stuff. That's the way it is in my Bible. I don't want the I don't want the type. I don't want to go back to a temple. I don't want to go back to a tabernacle. I don't want to go back to having to offer a lamb as a sacrifice. I want the real thing. Amen. I want what? And I said, I told Brother Richard, it might be more teaching than preaching, amen, but it's getting into preaching, amen. But what I'm trying to say is, is I do not want what is old. I want what is new. I don't want what was the type and the shadow and just the substance. Brother David, I want the real thing. And so that's what I want when it comes to a church. I don't want a church. I don't want just, I don't want just a called out assembly. I want a New Testament church. Now, your Bible says this, and I don't have time to run the references this morning or any time this week. If we do, we'll never get done. But so, some of this you're just going to have to take my word for it and look it up when you get home. But this is what the Bible said. The Bible said that a testament is without force. It means it has no power unless there first come the death of a testator. In other words, something has to die to make that covenant real. And there could not be a New Testament church. There could not be one until there first came the death of a testator. Do you know who that was? Jesus Christ. He was, so you cannot, have, now you can have, people say, well, the disciples, the disciples were a church. They were a church. There was a whole, there was a multitude of disciples. It was a huge church, but it wasn't a New Testament church. That's right. That's good. You say, well, Brother David, that's mentioned in the New Testament. Your New Testament does not start in the book of Matthew. Even though that is the division, that is the beginning when your New Testament is going to uh, start talking to you about the New Testament that's coming. But Jesus, understand this. Jesus, when he lived in this world, he lived under the Old Testament. He lived under the law. John the Baptist was a prophet under the law. Jesus Christ lived and died under the law. The New Testament only started after he died. When he died, that New Testament took force. That's the only time it could. You can't argue with that. And so what I'm trying to tell you is that there are many people that will tell you that the New Testament church started here in the book of Matthew or they will go to the book of Mark and say the New Testament church started there when he said on them, he breathed on them and said, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. But what we're going to have to understand is, is that in this foundation, Jesus in Matthew chapter number 16, he's making a proclamation of some things that will take place. 
not that are taking place now, the words he uses in your Bible tell us that this is going to take place at a future time. All right, so let's notice that. Number one, I want us to notice the position that the church is in in this text. Number one, Jesus said in verse number 18, And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Now Roman Catholicism will tell you that the, what Jesus was saying was is on Peter he would build his church. But he's using two different words there. The word Peter there is the word Petros. That means a little stone. The word that he uses there, rock, upon this rock, I will build my church, is the same word like a mighty stone. It means to be a great stone, a foundational stone. It's like the rock of Gibraltar. It's not just a little rock out in the driveway. That's what Peter was. That's Petros. He said, but this word that I'm using here for rock is something way bigger than Peter. And so it was not Peter he was talking about here. It was the statement that Peter made, and that is this, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Praise God. That is what the church is built upon. That is, Brother Jason, that's our position in this world, not just in the future to come. That's our position now. And God said, I am going to build my church on this one statement, Peter, that I am Jesus Christ, that I am the Son of God. There is, Brother uh, Richard, there is no other uh, group of people except a New Testament church, Brother Jason, that can make that claim. The only ones in this world that can make the claim that they are founded upon the Lord Jesus Christ is a New Testament church. Nobody else can claim that. And you say, Brother David, well that seems very exclusive. It is exclusive. But it's very inclusive as well. If you're willing to believe on Jesus Christ, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. That's exclusive. Yes, it is. But it's also very inclusive because any man can come. So you say, Brother David, so does that mean that there are, there are literally thousands and millions of people that are gathering in places and they're saying that they're a church but they're not a New Testament church? Yes, because they're not basing their foundation. They do not base their foundation on Jesus Christ. The Roman Catholic institution, and I'm pretty hard on Roman Catholics because I have to deal with them all the time where I live. But the Roman Catholics, the Roman Catholics believe that they are founded upon Peter. And they say, well, he got the keys to the kingdom. That's all right. Uh, I never will forget uh, Dr. B.R. Lakin said, uh, said they, the Catholics say that Peter's got the keys to the kingdom. He said, let old Pete keep them. I've got the door, amen. I don't need the key. Amen, that's exactly right. That they say, well, he gave them the keys to the kingdom. He's talking to the Jews there. He's talking about Jewish stuff there. But Jesus said, I am the door, and if any man enter in by me, praise God, he can go in and out and find green pastures. So he can have the key. I don't need the key, amen. I got a door. That's us as a church. That is a position that we have in this world. And don't you forget it. You live below your position most of the time, Ben. We walk around with our head hung down like we're some second class Christian. I understand we should not be proud. But we walk around like we're some kind of second class citizen because we're a member of a New Testament Baptist church. 
But we should not be walking around with our head held down. We should be not in pride, but we should be walking around with our head held up, held up not because of anything we've done, but brother John, because Amen. we're founded on Christ. Amen. He gave his life for us and he purchased us with his blood. That's what he purchased was the church. Now, our position deals with the position that we have at this moment. And I'm going to deal, if I ain't careful, I'll get ahead of myself and get into another message here. But I'm going to, let me say this for something for you just to chew on and think about before we get into the Sunday morning, the 11 o'clock hour. And you need, I don't want you to answer this out loud, but I want you to think about it and answer it in your mind. Was the church God's second plan? When Adam fell in the garden, is that when God decided to have a church or was the church always his plan? If Adam had, the question you've got to ask yourself is this, if Adam had never sinned, and I know that's a big if, that's a big supposition, but if Adam had never sinned, would there have been a church? I'm going to prove to you. I can prove it from the Bible what I'm going to tell you, amen. I'm going to deal with that in 11 o'clock hour, amen. That'll whet your appetite. That'll get you thinking, amen. Notice the position. He said, upon this rock, we are built upon the foundation of Jesus Christ and Him alone. That is not something that we have to wonder about. That's something that we know. Secondly, on the foundation of the church, I want us to notice the promise that we have in the foundation of the church. The foundation of the church is this, the promise that we have. He said, uh, verse number 18, Thou art Peter upon this rock, I will build my church. Now, this is what Jesus said. He said, Peter, he said, I'm going to build a church. He didn't tell Peter to go build a church. He didn't tell John to go build a church. He didn't tell Brother David to go build a church. He didn't tell Brother John Smith to go build a church. He didn't tell Brother Ben to go build a church. He didn't tell Brother Richard to go build a church. He didn't tell Brother Wales or Brother Josh to go build a church. This is what he said. He said, or Brother Jason, I keep calling you Josh. Brother Jason, he didn't tell Brother Jason to go build a church. He said, I'm going to build a church. I will build a church. A great promise. How can he make that promise? Because he's the foundation. If we get the foundation right, we can have power and confidence in the day and hour in which we live. I don't care who gets in the White House. They can't start the church, amen. Jesus said, I will build it. I'm going to. I will accomplish the task. I will not be detoured from it. And he has not been. That's right. Do you know that in 2016, he's still building the church? That's right. Amen. Now, I, I, I'm going to say this because there's some debate over this. I have some friends of mine who would disagree with me about this. But I've studied it and studied and studied and you can't come to any other conclusion. And that is this. We don't use the word universal church. The reason we don't, because that's, that's a Catholic term that people think is a Catholic term. It's not a Catholic term. But we don't use the word universal church because that's what Catholic means, is universal But in re, what we say, it's just the local church. But, Brother John, and, and if you don't agree with this, you'll just have to straighten it out when I leave, amen. <laughs> but the fact of the matter, but you're going to have a hard time straightening this out. If the church, if the foundation of the church is the apostles and Jesus Christ, 
And there is not a universal body of believers that make up the children of God, that make up the church. Then you've got to have apostles and you've got to have Jesus Christ in every, at the beginning of every one of the churches that are in America today that are New Testament churches. You've got to have an apostle here because you've got to have a foundation. So there was a, there was, this is what you need to understand. There was a work started when Jesus died on the cross and he's that chief cornerstone and the apostles, their doctrine, not just apostles, but the Bible said that their apostles and their doctrine is the foundation of the church. But we don't believe that apostles are for our day. They were at the beginning, the foundation of the church. So there is, there is a universal body of believers. In other words, this is the body of Christ in Buffalo Gap. This is a part of that body. But there's a part of the body in McQuady, Kentucky this morning. There's a part of the body in Paducah. Where Brother Norris is at. There's a part of the body in Oceana, West Virginia. Those are not all separate bodies. They're all one body. The Bible said that they are members fitly joined together. There is no schism in the body. What is what does that mean, Brother David? This is what that means. That means that we understand that every body of New Testament believers that is founded upon Christ is a part of the body of Christ. But we also understand, just like we have an I have an entire body that's made up of members, and you have an entire body that is made up of members. That the inside of that body is, even though we look the same, pretty close, we're all human, amen. We got five fingers, five toes, amen, unless we're one of the sons of Anak. And uh, we have six on each hand and six on each foot. I understand that. But normally we look, you know, we look pretty much the same. We're all part of the human race. But we're each individual bodies that function individually, but we're still a part of the human race. Even though we have local churches, and that's how God is working in this day. Understand that. You can't be a part of that. The reason we don't use it is because people say, I'm a part of the universal church. But they don't pay tithes to the universal church. And they don't ever attend the universal church meeting. Amen. So what we understand is, is that there's a universal body of believers, there's a church universal, but there's also the church local. And that is what God is working through. He's working through the entire body, but He's using local assemblies to do that. Yes, that's right. I believe that. Amen. Amen. Does that make sense? Yes, sir. That's the only thing that does make sense, don't it? Because you can't say, well, we're the only ones. Right. Well, then I'm leaving, amen, because I don't think you're the only ones. <laughs> That means I wouldn't be a part of it because I'm not a member here. My membership is not here. I was not baptized by the Spirit of God into this body of believers. I wasn't baptized into this local body, but I was baptized into the body by the Spirit of God. Amen. What are you saying, brother? I'm saying you've got to get that straight. You can't fight an erroneous doctrine with another erroneous doctrine. You can't, be, you can't fight a wrong doctrine by being wrong in your doctrine by going the other way. You understand that? You've got to strike a biblical balance in what you believe concerning the church. Now, this is the promise. I will build my church. That takes all the pressure off of me and you. You know what we've got to do? 
Well, we've got to build a church. No, you ain't got to build a church. You've got to be a Christian. God commands us to be conformed to the image of Christ. And he said, I'm going to do that. So all you've got to do is submit to me. And if you will submit to me and allow yourself to be conformed to the image of Christ, I will work through you and I'll build my church. Amen. It's amazing, ain't it? I mean, when we say that God is doing it all, if you really think about it, I mean, if we really believe, He is doing it all. He's conforming us to His image. He's giving us the power to live His life and then He's making us a part of a local body of believers that He will live through and build His church in this world. And the, He has done that and it has been going on ever since He said it would. Now, when do you believe the church started, Brother David? I believe church started on the day of Pentecost. The earliest you can have it is after the resurrection. Because after the resurrection... The Bible said Jesus came to Mary. Mary came to him. You got to, there's a whole lot of scriptures you got to take into consideration. Mary came to Jesus at the tomb. She was at the tomb. She thought they'd stole his body. And I'm just paraphrasing. She said they've stolen his body, taken away. She turns around, sees Jesus, thinks he's a gardener. And she said to him, tell me where you've taken his body. Tell me where you've laid him. And he said unto her, Mary, as soon as he spoke her name, she knew that it was the Messiah. She knew that it was Jesus. And this is what he said, Touch me not, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Then Mary is on her way back home from the tomb that quick. Jesus has went to heaven and come back and he meets her on the road going home and she falls down at his feet and takes a hold of his feet. And he don't say, don't touch me. You know why? He'd done that high priestly work, amen. He'd went back and he'd laid the foundation. He'd made sure the mortar was set, amen. And he came back and he said to Mary, he said, Mary, you go tell my disciples and you tell Peter that I have ascended to my God and their God, to my father and their father. He said, you tell them that I've done the work. I've completed it. It's done. The work is on its way. Now, if you want to say that the church started when he put the blood on the mercy seat, I ain't going to argue with you. I wouldn't argue with you about that. The death of a testator is taking place and the blood's been applied. I'm not going to argue about that. I'm not, going to, I'm not going to argue with you over that. But it was not empowered until Pentecost. And I believe that's when it started because that's when the church started doing what God said they would do. He said, after he told them, he said, you go to Jerusalem, you tear in Jerusalem, he said, you, you're going to be there 40 days. That would have been 10 days. He was there 10 days, uh, 40 days. He said, you tear in Jerusalem for 10 days. That would have been the day of Pentecost. And on the day of Pentecost, they were in an upper room. They were in one mind, one accord, in an upper room praying, 120, and the Holy Spirit of God descended on them in like in fi- uh, tongues of fire and set upon them. And the Bible said they preached and 3,000 souls were added to the church. That's right. Now, And I'll deal with this in the purpose of the church a little bit more. But that throws a kink in our modern day church building program. Brother Richard, they didn't knock on one door. And I'm not against knocking on doors. Not one time. All they done was preach the gospel. And 3,000 souls were added, added to the church. 3,000 were saved and 3,000 were baptized. The way we're doing it, they're getting 3,000 professions and maybe one baptism. 
in the day and hour in which we live. That ain't the way God wants it done. God never intended for it to be that way, Ben. They preached the gospel and 3,000 souls were saved. You know what our concentration is, is supposed to be? That God is building the church and our job is to preach the gospel. Preach it wherever you go. Preach it at the ball game. Preach it at the nursing home. Preach it at the church. Preach it on the street corner. Preach it down at Walmart. Share it wherever you go. Tell the story with whoever you meet that Christ died and rose again. He's the hope of the world and the only hope of the world. One fellow said, my hope's in Trump. But it ain't in Donald Trump. It's in the last Trump. Amen. Amen. That's where my hope's at. He said, I will build my church. He made a promise and he's keeping that promise. I want you to notice in this foundation the place of the church. We're, we're looking at the position of the church. He said, upon this rock, that's the position we have. My, what a position we hold. Then a great promise that's given us by the Son of God. I will build my church. You say, well, I'm depressed. The church is in bad shape. church ain't in bad shape. church is in good shape. The church is getting closer. You say, well... The churches I see are in bad shape. I'm telling you, the true church is getting stronger. It's growing greater day by day and getting closer to its redemption. That's good, brother. That's good. Notice the place it's at. He said, I, he said, upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He said, I tell you what I'm going to do. He said, I'm going to, I'm going to build my church on a rock, and that rock's going to be right in the path of hell itself. And hell is going to attack this building. It's going to attack this people. It's going to attack this body on every side. But it will not prevail. Right. Say, Brother David, the devil's attacking me on every side. Why are you surprised? <laughs> it's, good. it's always done that. Hell's always attacked the people of God. And hell will always attack the people of God. And anybody that is attacking the people of God is in coercion or is in collusion with hell itself. According to that scripture, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Hell is coming at us. But not only does it mean that we'll be able to stand against hell itself, Brother Richard, but it means we're to be attacking right. the dominion of hell itself. Hell's the one with the gates up. We're the ones attacking it. We should be. Yes, we should be standing right in the way and when the gates of hell come to where we're at, we should be attacking that by the power of God and we ought to attack it in confidence because we know that Jesus said they will not prevail against well they might kill us they might do it but they still had not prevailed the what they got one fellow said boy I'd like to see revival I said no you wouldn't if you've seen revival I said if we had revival the church had revival they'd start taking us to the stakes and killing us they'd be burning us at the stake brother Richard this world hates God I mean, you're talking about, just look at our nation. You're talking about a nation, Brother Richard, that said it's all right for boys and girls to go in the same bathroom together. Right. Our leadership has said that. That's right. Well, they've lost their mind. That's right. Amen. They ain't one of them went in the bathroom with my wife or daughter. That's right. One ever goes in, with, a man ever goes in the bathroom with my wife or daughter, there'll be two come, go in. And there'll be two come out. And one of them will be coming out by his heels, Amen. They ain't going. They ain't, you say, Brother David, what are you going to do? They ain't going in the bathroom. If my wife and daughter's got to go to the restroom and it's a restroom that they say either men or women go in, I'll tell my wife, you go in there and check, make sure there ain't nobody in there. If there ain't nobody in there, you shut the door and I'll stay in guard. That's right. Amen. That's right. Amen. 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 
What are you saying, Brother David? Brother David, why, why are you saying that? Because that is an attack of hell itself. Yes, and the church is to stand against it, Ben. Yes. We don't stick our head in the sand and just go our way and let everything run over us. We are to stand with the power of God in the humility of the cross but stand in the blood-stained banner waving over us saying we're going to do right. And we refuse to let you do wrong in our presence and not say anything. I might not change them. I might not fix it, Miss Kayla, but I can stand against it. I may not can fix the political system I'm in. It's too far gone. I probably can't fix this nation. It's probably too far gone. But I'm still supposed to stand. I'm still supposed to take a stand for it. I'm still to make, my, make the voice of Christ known. But last of all, I want us to notice, and I've got just a few minutes. I'll give you about, I'm going to try to finish up in five minutes, and so you'll have five minutes. Amen. But the Bible said that it shows us in this text the position we have, that is the rock, the foundation we have is Christ. We have the promise that Christ made, I will build my church. The place that Christ has put us in, right in the path of hell, and the protection that he has given us shall not prevail against it. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. What that means, Brother David, is, is that no matter what hell does to fight the church, it'll never win. It will never win. It can't win. If it can win, Ben, then Christ was a liar and we have no hope in salvation. Because if he lied about the church, he might have lied about our salvation as well. He didn't lie about the church. The church, I'm telling you, the church is still today. The fact that it's in existence today and the fact that the world hates it is a testimony to the fact that God has protected it all down through the years. If they could have stomped us out in the dark ages, they would have. Let me give you a few statistics and I'll be done. During a period of 1,200 years, over 55 million Christians died because they would not recant what they believe about God's Word. The Roman Catholic institution has killed more Christians than Hitler ever dreamed about killing Jews. And you know why they ain't done it in America? They're doing it all over the world. You know why they ain't done it in America? They ain't got the power. If they ever get the power, they'll do it in America. Yes, sir. You're right. And I'm going to tell you something. Don't you forget this. And you remember what Brother Wells told you. That Roman Catholic Church is the great whore in the book of Revelation. He, she is the great, and a lot of people have changed their doctrine on that, and they're trying to say that Islam is, but Islam ain't, that ain't the, that ain't the great whore. Now, Babylon is Babylon. I understand that, but there you, under, you need to understand there's a spiritual Babylon and there's a physical Babylon. Physical Babylon's always been where it's at, and spiritual Babylon is that Roman Catholic institution. Amen. I don't have time to get into prophecy today, <laughs> but Brother Richard, that is the great whore in the book of the Revelation. That's right. And everything that ever come out of her is going back. That's the reason the Methodists, the Presbyterian, that's the reason the Episcopalians, that's the reason the Lutherans, that's the reason every one of them are going right back to that Roman and they're yoking up with her again. But you know who else is going to go back? Islam. Islam's going back too. 
because that's where Islam come from as well. It was started by the Roman Catholic Church to try to take Jerusalem for the Pope and Muhammad rebelled. But she's a, she, I, you mark my words, Brother Richard, before this thing's over with, they'll embrace each other again. The Islamic religion will become the enforcement arm of the Roman Catholic Church. You say, Brother David, are you making a prophecy? No, I'm not. I am, but only a prophecy that God made. Yes, sir. Only the prophecy that God made. I'm just telling you what God said in the book and what I believe that this Bible teaches in, in the way of prophecy. But the church, there's always been a group of people, Brother Ben, that never were a part of that whore. That never were a part of that religious system. They may not have been called Baptists, but they had Baptist doctrine. And I'm telling you, Brother Richard, the ones they were that they'll be killing in the end of this thing will be us. But that's okay. That's okay. We're still going to win because we've already won. Let's pray. That's all I have for this morning. We'll come back at the 11 o'clock hour. Father, I pray you'd take what we've taught this morning, what we've tried to preach on, and use it for your honor.